1: Hello, and thanks for downloading the first series of Joining the Dots. Joining the Dots is a podcast from the makers of Huck Magazine, brought to you in association with size. I'm Michael Fordham, one of the founding editors of Huck Magazine, and I'm here to introduce the first series of Joining the Dots, hosted by filmmaker, DJ and storyteller Don Letts. Don came to creative consciousness in South London in the 1970s, and in a decade since has been part of so many movements that have defined our era. In a series of sessions in Don's creative bunker at the bottom of his West London garden, we learn that culture can bring us together as well as tear us apart. Greetings, I'm Don Letts and welcome to Joining the
0: Dots. For this edition I sat down with California-based artist, skateboarder and entrepreneur Ed Templeton. Ed is one of the most influential skateboarders in the history of the sideways sliding subculture. Not only did the Huntington Beach skateboarder come to define the street skating explosion of the 1990s, he went on to become one of the most renowned artists and photographers to be associated with the Beautiful Losers. A bunch of left field creatives turning Southern California's sun-soaked aesthetic on its head. Ed is an accomplished businessman too, having founded Toy Machine, one of the most well-respected, skater-owned, skater-run enterprises in the industry. Ed and I sat down recently while he was in London for his group photo show, Zinephobia, and we found out we had more in common than we would have imagined. Listen, I've got to be honest with you, before we got to do this thing, my knowledge of skateboards is that probably that some of the brothers like a bit of reggae, some of them don't mind a bit of weed, and I have a passion for the odd pair of vans, but it's kind of distant to me. I've seen, was it, Z-Town and the Dog Boys? Yeah. Time? But um, I didn't realise until I started looking up your shit how complete a subculture it was. I've got to be honest with you, man. I mean, I knew there's other little oh, things yeah. going on, and it almost kind of predates punk to me, because the skateboarders I met were informed by punk, but I'm looking at the history of the whole skateboard world, the whole... DIY thing, the alternative lifestyle, the art that came out of it, and it seems to have predated punk to me.
2: Is that, have I got it right? To me, punk and skateboarding went together. They evolved together. I mean, I think what was then, happening in your generation yeah. here in the UK was super specific in the beginning of it. And, simultane- and what, what? So what was, like... Well, over here, what 77. What was that punk explosion? 77.
0: And I was going to say, but the
2: skateboard thing... So skateboarding was earlier. Yeah. Was, I would say it was in the 60s. Yeah. But, you know, it started from these surfer kids who, you know, when the waves were flat... Downtime, yeah. You yeah. know, yeah, they would kind of, like, kids would use these scooters. And, and I learned from Craig Stesick, who's in the Board. Z- Boys movie, he's one of the original guys who, you know, really conceptualized it, was able to put it into words first. You know, he, he was a part of this scene, but was able to write an article about, he wrote a famous article in the skateboard magazine, like, basically showing everybody, this is an art form, this is a lifestyle, this is something new happening. He's the one who put it into terms. I'm hearing this from this guy himself, like, this, you know, legendary uh, early pioneer of skateboarding. And this How, is what period? This is, this is, he's telling me about his, like, you know, early 60s kind yeah. of thing, you know? So he's, he's a surfer, he's going... Yeah. You know they would go and steal skates they would go to college he was telling me he'd go to college campuses in wintertime and all the he said all the girls would put their skates out on the balconies of the, of the college dorm and they'd ru- scamper up there and like steal the roller skates
0: fucking punk rock man yeah it's that's what i'm saying rock. this is what i'm saying
2: this is this is the this is how it ties never together find the union jack damn this is how it ties together honestly cuz th- and, and Craig's the perfect example of this cuz it was fully punk what he was doing what they were doing my understanding of punk is that you know they were like breaking the skates apart putting it on the boards and so it's DIY culture th- And cult even, in
0: that, even in that
2: even in that documentary they talk they talk about kind of like the two sides at that po- at that point in the mid 60s where they you know it was like the Z boys were the were the hardcore guys the punk guys and then there was like some you know the other guys the freestyle guys were like you know not as cool and they you know so when they came and on the scene, it was like, here's the rough dogs, you know, and it's probably informed by, like, Easy Rider and stuff and, like, all these kind of, like, rebel outside things informed the very nugget of skateboarding Mm. was that, was this, like do it yourself, fuck everybody, yeah. we're doing this stuff. And and with Craig being one of the guys who sort of guided it, he's just like subversive to the core with everything, you know? It's like graffiti, everything. And then it evolved from like the going down a hill and just pretending you're surfing to skating pools. And that's where it fully becomes punk because it's just like everything about it is illegal. You're jumping over fences, skating people's empty backyard pools, the cops are kicking you out. And turning problems into assets is
0: another classic punk thing. I mean, the fact that when the waves are flat, that's a problem. Problem, so he decided to come up with a surfboard. And then the pool thing happened after droughts and things, didn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. there's been yeah. California droughts all the time. Or or, pe- or like, you know, especially now with the foreclosures. See, closures. these are all
0: punk ideas, man. And this is all no, pre and this, 77.
2: Is, and this is the thing. And even, so even when I come into it and like I start skating in 86, punk was my direct entry into it. Like, honestly, my life changed when I found simultaneously skateboarding and punk music. Oh, I'm curious. At your age, what did that mean? What was punk music? This here? is like Dead Kennedys. Cool. California punk at that Uberati point. No, yeah, 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 I've worked you know, with, okay, okay. Dead Kennedys, uh, Seven Seconds, The Germs, these yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. stuff at that era. And the kids I got it from were the punk kids. So I'm alienated to some extent. I'm a nerd, like you know, I'm not popular in, in class or anything like that. You're just a kid, just don't know what you're doing. I got interested in skateboarding, went to school with a skateboard, and the first people to say, "Hey, you have a skateboard? Come hang out with us." Well, it was this kid Ron who had a mohawk, and as much as I was scared of him, it was kind of like these are the only kids that are cool to me. Like, no one in the school was talking to me, or, you know, I felt, like, really alienated. So suddenly I'm just invited into this, like, culture with these bad boys. You know, I'm a suburban white kid, and there's suburban white kids rebelling against their families. And I Again, had sh-
0: sort of like-minded so, rebels. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, all, yeah. you know,
2: we all came from broken homes and shitty families, and to me, it was always ridiculous, like, wearing a mohawk or externally showing it, you know? I've just been more of an internal, like, the attitude is what I'm it's bad about. I'm
0: glad you said that, dude. <laughs> Yeah, because all those guys that thought it was just about fast guitars and safety pins, I mean, to me, like you said, its it was always about an attitude and it's a an spirit. Attitude, yeah.
2: My understanding of punk was like, the least punk thing is like spending four hours fixing your mohawk to go outside today. <laughs> it's like, that's not punk, what I understand as punk. Punk is like not giving a fuck. I mean, over here, a lot of that shit was created
0: by the media. And the minute that people started to identify with that as punk, smart people moved on and did yeah. other things. And that's when it got interesting, because the thing about that punk label thing is it very quickly as much as it was empowering and inspiring, it also became a trap. It's like in minute you give something a label, it yeah, becomes defined and that's all it can it, yeah. be. And it was never, it was supposed to be something that could keep developing, expanding, like skateboarding. I mean, it seems to me that's adapted itself all the way from the sixties, right through to the 21st century, where it's now a fucking Always multi-billion evolving. pound Always industry. Evolving, yeah. Anyway, um, and it was a similar thing, where I saw Bob Marley play in like 1975, a gig in London, Hammersmith Odeon and I followed his coach back to his hotel and basically kind of hustled my way in with the musicians as they walked into his room and uh, sat down in a corner and Bob was sat in a room and he's smoking to all the kind of the London rusters, the elders, and he's smoking and about three in the morning he's out-reasoned as they call it, it was like having a conversation, he'd out-reasoned and out-smoked everybody and he looks around the room and he sees me sitting in a corner, my little dreads and my pathetic little bag of weed and he summons me to the table and uh, proceeded to finish my weed, but <laughs> By the end of that, we made struck up a brief relationship, and when he was staying here in '77, to be quite honest, I used to sell him weed. I don't do it anymore. As you know, as a child, I was trying to make some, make a buck. But um, so over about a year, t- two or three years, I had a, a. I mean, people say we were friends. I mean, I had acquaintances, I'd call it really. I mean, the real story out of that was when I went around to collect some money off him. He owed me some money, and I was. This isn't '77. I'm not. I'm not like the Don lets you see now. I was like a kid. You know, I was trying to work my shit out. But I went around there wearing bondage trousers these punk things. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, he'd obviously been reading the press and they painted a very negative image of what punk was about. right? So I walk in, he's like, Don Letts, you look like one of them nasty blood clot punk rock. In English, he says, Don Letts, you look like one of those nasty punk rockers. And basically, I had to stand my ground and sort of try and defend my white friends as they were then. Yeah. And said, Bob, look, you know, they're wrong. There's something going on here. We're like-minded rebels, dude. And he basically said, get the fuck out of here. You know, with a smile on his face. Three months later, after he'd become a bit more familiar with the whole scene, he was moved to write that song, Punky Reggae Party. So from my perspective, I always got the last laugh. But yeah. it was a tough call, yeah, defending my white friends to... A oh man who was definitely a legend then. Yeah. But then you start... Gonzalez. I read a thing that you well, followed
2: him back to his place. Here's what happened. It was interesting. I was so new to skateboarding that the friend I was with, we went to a skate shop to look at, you know, we we're poor little kids. We couldn't afford anything. And we just, like, you know, go up to the sticker case and look at the stickers. We just, like, you know, drool over the stickers. Stickers. <laughs> <You> <laughs> Not know, the yeah, skateboard, just, just a ridiculous. You no, I mean, really, yeah. yeah. We were just like, oh, that... And, uh, and so Mark Gonzalez walks in the shop. He lives in Huntington Beach. I didn't even know about him, you know. And my friend starts freaking out. I'm like, oh, there's Mark Gonzalez. And I go, who's that? And he, like, points to a board on the wall, like, that guy. And I see the board, Markin's off. Awesome. I'm like, oh, wow. All this is, like, hitting me. Like, these guys live? Like, I don't know, you know, I just, I was that new to it. I just was, like, learning how to ollie. And so my friend said, let's follow him. <laughs> so we followed him to his house, which is right around the corner, apparently. And there was a quarter pipe there, um where these kids you know some kids were skating and of course mark shows up and they all sit down like oh my god you know mark gonzalez here let's watch him skate and i again didn't know that i was supposed to be in awe of this person so i skated the quarter so it was just me and mark gonzalez skating the quarter pipe a little kid who knows nothing skating this quarter pipe with this legend already a legend in 86 you know how old was he then he was he must have been young i don't i mean gosh he's probably your age so what what were you in 86 i mean 18 i mean he was 19 or 20 or something but he's i mean he was young
0: shit was he doing his own graphics
2: then? Because that was the thing that drew you to him, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the second part of his influence on me and all skateboarding (laughs) as a whole, um, was that once I started learning about the skate culture, certain, a couple of the pros did their own skateboard graphics. Mark Gonzalez, Neil Blender, Chris Miller, some of my favourite guys. So I made a mental vow at that point, like if I ever get to be a pro, that's what I want to do, my own graphics. And the
0: the graphics on the skateboards, was that an extension of designs that were happening on surfboards or did that happen
2: in its own right it's kind of its own thing because the surfboard designs you know they minimal were, more minimal yeah it? i mean just like pinstriping and stuff like that i mean uh yeah so like you know skateboard graphics and in the 80s it was a thing the boards would stay out for a lot longer the board you know a board might hit the shop and be out for a year or six months so the graphic was important and also the kids rode rails i mean are you familiar with like these little plastic things on the bottom of the board that would help you do a board slide or something so the graphics would be sort of protected but that all kind of evolved later
0: I've identified skateboarding culture as a complete subculture, which is kind of new to me, I'll be honest. What are the elements that would make it complete? You know, what are the different aspects, the creative aspects of skateboarding?
2: I think it evolved, it started spreading out to everything. I mean, my look at it is that it was, it did spring from sort of a punk ethos. Hip hop absorbed it immediately, or vice versa. They absorbed each other immediately, yep. immediately, because essentially a lot of skateboarding happens in, in the city, in inner cities. You know, it's like that's where the cement is. That's where, it's not in the countryside, you know. It's in the city where the cement is, where the plazas are. And it's something that poor people can do. I mean, that's the, one of my big connections to it, too, was just like I, we couldn't afford anything, you know. I was My first board was just Frankenstein together from parts from kids I know, you know. It wasn't like we went to a store and bought a board. It was just I found a pair of trucks. I found some stuff. You just was scrape everything together and i grew up in huntington beach where it was surf culture you know it's like in theory i should have been a surfer but i couldn't afford a wetsuit and a board so i just became you know became a skater instead to me it's complete because it's just like a fully contained thing everything was just done by ourselves and there's skateboard bands is skate what punk? there was some like skate rock and stuff like that yeah i mean like i mean everyone gets that's the label i hate Is like someone calls me a skartist, a skate artist or something you know it's like Yes, I document photographically this uh, skateboard scene, but my like my paintings, for instance, have nothing to do with skateboarding. Yeah. I just I happen to be a skateboarder.
0: That's like lazy journalism, though, isn't it?
2: Kind of, yeah. I mean, that's just the boxing thing. Everyone wants to put it in a category so you can label it and then forget it, kind of thing, and not have to deal with it in a real way. Just because I'm a skateboarder doesn't mean my my art is about skateboarding or anything like that. Like I'm a creative, and that's like someone like Gon's. I mean, Gon's is a genius. He's He's done everything, and it's all in Sharpie form. You know, he's just doing it, and like, there's nothing he hasn't done. He's got mental problems, you know, <laughs> and that's kind of what makes him amazing and crazy. And like, and you know, he's one of those guys who did everything. He's like a Basquiat, uh, Jean Michel Basquiat yeah, yeah, no, type I, of person.
0: Yeah, I, no, I you know. to know Jean. I remember sitting down with Jean and asking him to sell me something. He's like, "I'll do you a deal, man. I'll do it." Like, it's like five thousand dollars he wanted, but even that was like 30, 40 years ago, and I was like. Oh, and now if I you know what I mean? Fuck. <laughs> Man. And it's funny, somebody just showed me some books with his his diaries. And one of the pages is gone, let's he's got my name. And then there's another big book that's just come out. I don't know why. He must have, I must have stuck in his head, because he's written my name on like three places in this page and part of his art. Could I get one? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Many of the creative people I know music's been their kind of gateway to a lot of creativity. But everything you did seems to be in spite of
2: music. Is that right? I was completely musically challenged as a, as a as a as a kid. You know, I grew up in Pure white suburbia. I mean, the place where I grew up is the effect of white flight out of L.A. My grandfather told me about this. You know, he lived in Baldwin Hills, which is a black area of L.A. When the when the African Americans became upwardly mobile and started moving in his neighborhood, he was telling me he's like, "Yeah, I mean, everyone was freaking out and moving out to the suburbs. <laughs> like, let's go yeah, yeah, yeah. down." And he's just like, "I moved to the suburbs too. Like, yeah. not not necessarily because I was afraid, but just." You know, it's just because I was you afraid. Could, you could, no, because you, I mean, well, he is, no, a, he is an older it, man, man so he
0: probably had. No, it. I can think that generation being spooked by that. Huh. <laughs> 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 no pun intended. It's true. <laughs> it's
2: true, though, you know, and, yeah. you know, potentially he was. I mean, but, you know, there's also like, you know, you could get a bigger house, for yeah. you know, that there's that aspect, too. But, you know, so I'm growing up now in, a, in an environment. I was born into it. Of course, I'm just like born into this place that was, you know, essentially built out of fear. So I was just kind of grew up with, you know, my mother, she had brain damage when she was a baby, which kind of stunted her growth uh, mentally. So she was... I quickly surpassed her in intellect, you know, essentially parenting myself at an early age, you know? And then uh, with my dad leaving, my grandparents were my were my real cultural touchstones and father figure and, and mother figure, essentially. I feel lucky about that because I feel like having a, a person born in the 1920s raising you gave me a cool insight, yeah. like the, the language they use, the way they... Conducting themselves, they're part of the Greatest Generation kind of thing. I learned a lot of stuff from that. I feel like I was always an older person because of that. You know, I'm around my f- young skate friends, but I know about this poetry and this, these like words yeah, and these yeah. things that my grand <coughs> that my grandfather would uh, would tell me about. So, musically now. I'm listening to nothing, you know, the radio. I'm re- the radio. So at that time, it's like Cyndi Lauper and like Michael Jackson. And okay. as a kid, I'm just yeah. like listening to the radio. It's like so stupid, you know. I was skating with Jason Lee, who's like an actor now and everything. Uh, he had a Beastie Boys album, so we, you know, ah, how white is that in a way? He's like yeah. Yeah. white suburban kid, like identifying with the Beastie Boys suddenly. So Lord. you do stuff with the Beasties. You did know the Beasties because I'm good friend. I met him. Uh, yeah. I met him after, you know, after oh. the fact, but. Um, yeah, we knew MCA and, like, but, like, you know, it was, like, such a cool guy that he would remember us. Like, yeah, yeah. it's kind of thing, like, I'm meeting him and talking to him a little bit, but it's, like, they won't remember us. Like, and yeah, then, but yeah. next time, he'd be, like, hey, no, what's was up? Cool. Like, he yeah, would remember they definitely are cool. But then I met Deanna, who, before meeting me, was going to every single punk show in L.A., everything. She saw The Smiths in 84. You saw, you were seeing, like, you know, Adolescents and all this stuff in, like, the early 80s. So I meet her, and her brother's a big record collector and guitar collector, and, so, I, you know, I kind of, like, start dating a girl who is going, this stuff sucks, this stuff is good. You know, like, here's what to listen to, you know? Like, I mean, The Clash, and, like, we were listening to Jane's Addiction and stuff at that point, point. like the Red Hot Chili Peppers and, you know, Fishbone and, like... But it's fair to say, your creativity wasn't fueled by music. I don't... I wouldn't say, like, the big chunk of it was from music, but it's a part of it, for sure. But I don't know if it's, the like, the main pillar, let's say, of, like, where that informed me. But I would say that once I found punk, punk at that point was about the lyrics, you know? And I've always been a lyrical person, like... I like bands that are just good musically and it's like they're just talking gibberish. I mean, my first concert was the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I identified way more with Dead Kennedys and stuff because of the poli- political yeah. lyrics. And then for me, like the real come together point was Fugazi Minor okay. Threat Minor Threat Fugazi okay. Okay. writes a spring and, uh, yeah. the, the spring, shit gets serious the music is insane and good but they're saying something that was important to me that was as a creative touchstone that was probably it like I wanted to, everything I did to say something
0: what's he up to I now? wanted my
2: art to say stuff Ian McKay what's he up to now? we're friends to, uh, we're, oh, really? we, we got to meet That's this is, the, this is the thing you know so I'm a huge fan for years I have a friend this guy Otis Bartholomew he's like a big music guy you know he knows everybody he's a big music guy this guy oh gets me into a uh, Fugazi concert backstage. You know he's just like go backstage. He's like I didn't get you this ticket. Ian got you this ticket. He knows who you are. Go say hi to him. Go up and s- introduce yourself to Ian. I'm freaking out. I don't want like I'm scared of yep. Ian. He seems so intense Tense. and like you know and like I'm really scared. But I finally like get up the bravery. Like there he is. There's there's a free moment. I'm, I walk up to him. I'm like. Hi, like Ian McCabe at Templeton. He's like, Oh, yeah, I read all your interviews. You know, I know you're a skater. So it just broke the ice immediately because he just was like, Hey, I'm a fan of you. You know, you're freaking out on a guy, like worried about meeting him. And then he tells you that he's a fan of yours. You know, it was kind of cool. And then we just started being friends. We'd write each other letters. He said I could use his music for free in our skate videos, which we were making, which was helpful for us because we don't have a lot of money to be buying music for videos and stuff like that. So it was kind of cool. What's he actually doing now? I'm curious. He still does Discord and he's like, Doing the same thing. He does a band called uh, The Evens. Fugazi had to kind of break up because everyone has families and yeah, kids yeah, now. Yeah. And the reality and the, Yeah, the reality comes in. So him and this girl, Amy Farina, his wife now, do, does this band called The Evens. It's just basically a drum and a bass. i have to check
0: that out, man. Yeah, I'm really
2: curious. Yeah, cool. When does business come into the equation?
1: And almost you become a professional Almost skater. immediately,
2: you know. Yeah, immediately. I mean, this is the thing that's weird is like I'm growing up with a grandfather who's my father coming from a generation who just has no idea. He sees skateboarding as the stupidest thing I could be doing. And I don't disagree with him. From his perspective, I agree. I, I would see that and go, okay, I get it. He came from a generation of like get a job, support your family, be a man. I'm out there skateboarding, spending all my time skateboarding. He just saw it as like a toy. It's totally stupid. Until I brought the check home. You know, I got sponsored turn pro and go check this out three thousand dollars in one month for skateboarding to his credit he's just like went I get it <laughs> like, this is amazing you're, you know you're doing it like what a surprise you gotta get no, no, no. you got get out of the house yeah. see you later you know like yeah. Yeah. you're go making get money. Skating. basically yeah see you yeah. later I mean yeah. my mom was on a government assistance kind of thing and the fact that I was in the household and if I was gonna make money she would be kicked off of it so he's just like you're either gonna help your mom are you going to leave the house? He's like, I think you should leave the house so your mom can stay on this program. As soon as I started making money, I was at the house at 18, which is which is good. good yeah, time my, for mom, that. my parents
0: didn't take me seriously until they saw me on the TV. I like, I yeah, I mean, that's that. kind of yeah, what yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. So,
2: until I brought that check home, I yeah. thought oh, I was wasting my time. And then he's like, OK, I, I kind of get it. You know, here's a board with my name on it. Look, there's a thing that says Ed Templeton on it that people can go buy in the shop, you know. And when the business starts coming into the mix, was there any kind of conflict between the sort of creative aspect and the fact that it's getting... Business life? So yes, business enters immediately. So you turn pro, you know, you're paid to skateboard now. So it changes a little bit. You have to, I mean, in the early 90s, there wasn't videos and the magazines. Like all we had to really do was just show up to the contests that were three or four times a year, you know, and maybe get some photos in the magazines here and there. So I could be a great pro if I got a magazine every month in the, which means I had to go out one weekend and essentially and get a photo that would be run in the magazine. I was doing a great job. I mean, now it's like Daily, you have to go out and really produce. So it's a lot different. And
0: negotiating your creative passion with the business, how do you
2: find dealing with that? Yeah, I think I was talking about how being paid, you have to produce and stuff like that. And that's fine for me up until I started Toy Machine. You know, as a pro, I'm just like, I'm doing my own graphics, I'm having fun. But someone else is paying for it, it's it's not a big deal. Like, you know, I'm just doing my thing. I'm the person who's getting flown to the contests in Europe. And then in 93... I started my own company, Toy Machine, and then, yeah, then it's all on you. (laughs) Like, I'm paying the bills, I'm paying the skateboarders, I'm, like, in charge of that stuff. How much is that first-class ticket? (laughs) Well, it was just, uh, to me, the conflict was and going back to like my touchstone is Fugazi in this is like I was like okay I'm doing a company what's my example here who am I going to look at and I looked at like Discord and what Ian was doing with that stuff his whole ethos we're charging $5 for shows yeah. we're not gouging people this is a community I wanted yeah. to say like okay we're a community we're not going to gouge people and we're going to poke fun at it that's the key really for Toy Machine because because luckily I've worked with a business partner that's been in charge of juggling money around type of stuff and I've been able to escape that and stay on the creative mm-hmm. side which is really helpful for me. But I get to call the shots, so, you know, I get to talk with him about that. But um poking fun at it was the big thing. I was like, how do I jibe this thing I love and, and cherish and don't wanna like kook it out with selling it, which is just the nature of selling something is gross yeah. I just, I just <laughs> you know prevent your it, passion becoming a commodity right and so and but it is a commodity so my way to deal with it was just through comedy basically so all the toy machine ads and the toy machine style has always just been like joking about the fact that you're buying this thing from us and and you're gonna like scrape the graphics off in one second and it's just like poking fun at the whole idea like subverting it like a lot of the companies would be like here's our cool style and, and our logos yeah. you know and i was just like you know what this this is a joke you know how this works the kids aren't stupid you know and a lot of it came from like knowing that the kids knowing that it's my company so like they go this isn't just some corporate guy who's selling us skateboards This is a templeton we've watched him grow up in the skateboard magazines we've seen him skate we've read his interviews we've seen him in the videos so this is the guy that's selling us our boards and like it's skater own i'm a skater i own this thing so i'm
0: well that'll separate you from the rest of the people that are just using it as a commodity that Somebody passionate is at the head of the whole thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, someone they and someone they know. I, there's a face to it. I'm not just like some guy behind a desk going, "Ha ha, I'm making money selling skateboards to kids." It's like it's me. They know I care about it, and that's that's been a big part of what Toy Machine has been about. Like the one is just that I'm at the helm of it, and then the second part is just not taking ourselves seriously. It's a big joke. Just keeping that punk ethos in
0: place, yeah. right? You it's, it's yeah, punk. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. you
2: know, it's a joke. I'm just trying to make kids laugh. I just like write funny stuff and poke holes in the whole idea of like selling a board. I guess the idea has always been let's do fun stuff. Not, let's do stuff to make money. And that's kind of been the guiding path. It's just been like, we want to do stuff that we think is fun and cool and interesting. And we don't do stuff just because, hey, this will make us a buck. So, and that's kind of just how we run it. How do you make the leap from toy machine to photography? Well, that's the thing. Uh, A lot of the stuff is happening simultaneously. I turned pro in 1990. I was 18 years old. By 94, I started shooting photos in a serious way. But I think it was 94 that I really realized something like, oh, fuck, I get to live this life. Look at this life I get to live. I get flown around to skateboard. people watch me skateboard around the world and that's all I'm doing. It's like literally people fly me there and put me in a hotel just so I can skate in front of this stadium full of kids or something. And the lifestyle that the other kids that I was with was living was like real hard and fast, partying, weed, women, chasing women. Yeah. And then that's the other Rock aspect. Rock and roll basically. And this is the other aspect we never, we hadn't talked about yet, but like I was always sober the whole time. Like I never smoked a cigarette in my life. I mean, I was just like, I don't know what scared me into that at some point. Like even growing up around all the punks, they were accepting of that. That was cool it's like they're you know passing the joint i'll be like Nah, i don't want to and they weren't like what the fuck you know straight asshole. Edge. they were just like yeah whatever you know see i never identified as straight edge though but i hated the idea of like writing an x on my hand and we'd go on skate tours and like the straight edge kids would identify with us because they knew we were not doing drugs and stuff so they thought we were straight edge and they'd come up to us and be like yeah we were like beating up some guys who were drunk and i'm like that's not what i'm about it's they can't they've got quite fascistic about it that's what and i mean. so that's, it, yeah. it's a it turn into the same the same thing that they're right. against it's like you know i I don't, you can do all the drugs you want or I don't care at all. You do, you live your life. Just don't step on my blue
0: suede shoes. I'm just, yeah,
2: yeah, I'm just doing my thing. I don't want to beat someone up because they're drunk or something like that. You know, again, the outward show part of it. I never like had a Mohawk. I never had an ex. Like I said, uh, I had a realization around 94. So four years into it, living this life, being around these people, it kind of hit me like, I had that, an epiphany of that, of some sort, so, like, realizing, and it was, like, the same time that I saw Larry Clark's book, Teenage Lust. Uh, a friend was going on a trip and said, hey, take care of my books for me, and one of them was Larry Clark's Teenage Lust, and I'm looking through this going, wow, like, the photos are intense, and uh, I just had this realization, like, I'm living this life right here, but in a different generation and different different crew of people. I should be shooting, I should be documenting. So, so I,
0: was that teenage kisses and teenage smoking came out of that? Is that- came
2: out, of, that started from there, yeah. So, you know, 94, I just realized, like, I'm gonna really carry a camera all the time and start shooting like the skateboard scene specifically. Not skateboard tricks, you know, just like the stuff that we do. We it's all about What's traveling going on around. Yeah, it's all about traveling. These guys are like traveling trying to hook up with girls left and right you know, spending endless hours driving across the country in a van, like, you know, so I was just trying to shoot that. And then focusing on the rock star aspect that some of these guys were taking it as, you know, like we're minor celebrities in our, in our microcosm of skateboarding, you know, it's like in the real world, we're walking down the street, kids are just like, who are these punks, you know, but then in the skateboard world that we're like celebrities, we walk into a place and everyone's cheering and like wanting our autograph and stuff. So it's like, fame in a like weird subculture bubble you know and I was
0: a small. and so
2: some of these guys would that would get to their heads and they would start wearing crazy outfits and like you know acting like rock stars and so that's the kind of thing that I wanted to shoot and document and just export it because I was like this could run the risk of being real insidery but I was trying to look at it like what if I was trying to explain this to my grandma how can I show this world to to someone else but then that
0: photography quickly evolved into something (coughs) else because I've checked your shit out on the net and I've got to say I'm (coughs) not only am I impressed with the range but actually like it. Thank you. <laughs> I've got to say, no, I mean, to put you down as just a skateboarder to me seems to be, uh, not insulting, I know it's a big part of your life, but these other no, aspects, I... I mean, you know, you've developed in their own right and skateboarding is almost like another bit of it.
2: Yeah, I took my chances. I mean, I think, uh... I mean, so that that was photography, but then painting started right in 1990. So the same year I turned pro and that happened because of skateboarding. And I got sent to Europe, a suburban kid who grew up in California in the suburbs, like very culturally devoid for the most part, except for the saving grace of my grandparents who (coughs) showed me museums and things and art which is probably what put the bug in there. Coming to Europe was really eye-opening. I mean, the public art and the sculpture and just, like... because I guess I guess, history. Is, you you know, Europe's got history. And more, so I'm with know. a group of guys who are like, you know, we're skating the contest, then we're going to go to the pub. And I'd be like, I don't want to go to the pub. I'm going to go to the museum, you know. So I kind of, like, self-started in that way. I started looking at art. Like, I came back from that trip thinking, I'm going to be a painter. Like, naively, you know, I'm like... Just, that's it. I'm gonna be a painter. Everybody like. That's how you start, though. You start, and it's like you do you do years of shit work, you know, because uh, you're just like in you, you just want to do it. So I made these, started making paintings. Yeah, but and
0: how comes you skip the
2: years of shit work? I did. No, you that, that you can't find that stuff <laughs> uh, online. You didn't put that out you there. You can't find it <laughs> Because oh, right. I'm can't... like,
0: whoa, this guy skate when I'm like, it looks to me like a quantum leap of creativity to me
2: as no, an outsider. It, it does change. I mean, because I never went to school for any, anything either, so it was just like all self-taught stuff and. Uh,
0: But that's interesting you tell me about coming to Europe as a young kid kid from Huntington Beach because it kind of reminds me, people forget
2: how young a country America that's is. That's what I mean, the depth of here. Yeah. I mean, just like the signs, the churches. You know, you look at this cathedral and it's like, this was built in 14. I mean, okay, Columbus sailed in 1492 to find the USA, yeah. you know, or whatever. And so this is before that even happened. Like So that, you know, I'm just blown away in general by Europe. You know, I'm mean, really into this painter, Egon Schiele is an Austrian painter, you know. So I just... Came home and started painting in 1990, so I was painting, you know, for years, and then my first shows were all painting shows. What's your preferred medium? I use, like, acrylic paint. Tell me about Mistake Paint.
0: Mistake Paint? Oh. I love that. I love that shit, man. Again, turning people's problems into your assets. Yeah, yeah. Punk rock. Tell tell me about Mistake No, I mean, this is
2: is the whole culture. There's a film, uh, Beautiful Losers, that was made about this whole group of us, because... It all surrounded the Alleged Gallery. You know, there's this gallery in New York called the Alleged Gallery. This guy, Aaron Rose, who was basically showing artwork by skateboarders specifically. So he was like... Okay, so it's a bit
0: like Fun Gallery was to the uh, graffiti movement. I don't know if you're... No, Yeah. yeah,
2: exactly. He was just like showing kind of graffiti kids and skate kids and stuff like that. So I don't even know if he necessarily liked my art at that point. He basically just knew who I was from skateboarding, knew I was a painter, and he was like, hey, if you drive out here, you can have a show here. So I like basically you know again like self a lot of this is just like do-it-yourself kind of attitude it's just like okay this guy says i have a gallery in new york but i got to get out there you know i'm a pro skater i have a little money i'm renting a car i'm renting a van me and Deanna are driving putting the paintings in the you know minivan and we're driving across to new york and i showed in 94 i showed up to new york and just here i am like to this guy i never met before it's like let's let's do this show and just like started doing that's you know, at the beginning of doing uh, art shows and stuff and just and getting a kick out of that, you know, having, like, the interaction with people, showing your showing your work and stuff like that, so... You know, I, I don't know if you know what I do. I mean, I make films and I yeah. do... Genre. And for
0: me, it's all one thing. It's all one form of expression. Yeah. I'm wondering how, you know, how you relate to that.
2: I like to say I just took my chances. like You know, I think what gave me the, the push was the fact that from 1990 to 94, before I started doing photography, you know, I was a pro skateboarder who had, because of that, a voice and a following. You know, I had an interview in a skateboard magazine. So it, immediately, I'm realizing like I'm the tables have turned. I read magazines with the pro skaters. Now I'm one of these guys. What what's what am I gonna do? I have the spl- I have the, the mic. I have the mic now. What what? You know, like I wanted to say something. Well, I want to use this platform wisely. I realize that kids are gonna be you. inhaling everything i say let's be a positive force let's be a force for good you know so like i made a point in my first interview to like speak out against homophobia which was like in the skate culture which everyone thought was hip and cool it was actually super homophobic and weird in a lot of ways and sheltered and like kids from suburbia aren't that cultured in a lot of ways so you know i just wanted to like say something and that that was what number one and then number two was just like having the show at alleged gallery and you know i look back at it and don't think it was good but you know at the time i guess people liked it and i that spawned another show so everything spawned something else and it just kind of went so yeah painting photography but then at the same time even like graphic design so the minute i started a company we had to do advertising i don't know how to do that you know so i have a friend who knows how to do that the first three ads a toy machine i'm sitting over shoulder every single button he pushes i'm like what was that for what did that do and he taught me you know so then and then like you know four or five ads in i started doing it myself really crappy, really rudimentary, you know? But there's a charm to it. I think the kids who are looking at the ads realize, like, oh, this is Ed Templeton doing this. Like, again, so you get that little leeway of like, he's a skater, so, you know, it's not a great design, going on here but at least he's one of our own he's like yeah. that's kind of cool we, we support it you know and then over the years you, you start learning stuff so now I'm designing my own books I'm like you know I can design skateboard graphics I you know so I can basically run every aspect of what I'm doing and I get I would imagine like for you it's the same kind of thing it's like you know you can run it all my friend Kevin's a, a, a mm. skateboard filmmaker yeah And he starts, he's here to do London uh, School of Film now. You know, and he's just racing through it because in that world, everyone's so specific. Like, I want to be an editor, I want to do this. And he comes from a world where he's like, I built a skate video from the ground up. I filmed it, (laughs) I edited it, I got the music rights for it. You know, I did everything. I built a whole production from the ground up, all myself,
0: you know. There's a term over here for these new young people that can do it all, Predators. Predators. (laughs) Producer, editor. Director. Okay, yeah. Because I'm from the old school where I you know I just direct. I just have ideas, okay, and yeah. I actually embrace the idea of other people being um, technically proficient in whatever aspect. Like the sound man's a good sound man, the cameraman's a good cameraman. There's the set design and all the rest of it. Right. And I like the fact that all these people working on these, they're experts in different fields. Can work towards a common goal. That's you know, true. I really true. like that th- thing about filmmaking. That's, the that's luxury, how it used
2: to be. That's the luxury we didn't have. Yeah. Uh, like in, skate- in the skateboard world, we didn't have these like specialists that would do everything perfectly. You know, we just had to like improvise and do it ourselves. And that's kind of like what built someone like Kevin or myself. <laughs> and you were over here to do what? The Deadbeat Club. What was that about? So a friend of mine, Clint Woodside, I broke my leg four years ago that really badly, like shattered shattered both bones and at age 40 and kind of, you know, pretty much retired me from being a pro skater <laughs> uh, officially. And uh, during this time that I was laid up on the couch, uh, he came to me and said, hey, I have this idea. I want to do like a a zine collective. Our culture's always made these, you know, fanzine type things where we just, again, do it yourself. You, like, go to Kinko's and just, it's a way to share your work and give away stuff, you know, so... It was
0: big in the 77 punk thing.
2: Yeah, you know, you show up to a place and you're like, hey, here's a zine, here's my new zine. You just give it out. And, like, you know, he came to me and said, hey, like, I want to do this thing where I'm going to, like, make zines for you. And So I saw it as, like, oh, so I don't have to, like... Go to Kinko's and do it all myself anymore. Like, you're going to basically produce the zine and sell it. Like, I don't I like have this to I do it myself yeah, anymore. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting lazier and lazier <laughs> as I get up. But now, here's a way to, like, I'll still be able to make a bunch of zines and, and you're going to, like, because the thing I hate is, like, getting orders and selling. Like, if that kind the of business stuff. stuff. The business the stuff. Business I hate stuff. doing I'll that. i so like, so you're going to, like, get the orders and send them to kids all over the world. This is great. Let's do this, you know? And through that, he's like, do you know anybody? You know, like, that, that would be cool. Like, instantly, like, this is the thing I love about my position in the world is that i can help people you know that's really cool like i i love finding the kid that is authentic and doing it and giving him a shot that's my favorite thing ever is like so and I, you know i, so I felt oh, like I on the energy totally and uh and i because i felt like every, you know i got so many help helping hands along the way that it's just like really cool so you know like so Devin briggs and grant uh hatfield and nolan hall were all guys that were you know they're out there shooting and doing stuff but they didn't necessarily have a lot of opportunities like Again, I had these opportunities because people knew who I was. Like, I can walk into a place and they go, oh, Templeton, a Templeton Skater, I grew up watching your videos. Like, they love giving me a like, chance to do something, but these other guys, they don't necessarily. So we started like, I was like, do zines with these guys. They shoot film and they going out and shooting photos, documenting the suburban scene we live in and how weird it is. And uh, that's how it started. And then suddenly, people started inviting us to do shows, you know. So like a gallery will say, hey, let's do a Deadbeat Club show. We just started doing that. I'm, like, oh, that's fun. And then there's a lot of other people who have done zines with us now. So, you know, in theory we could have like 14 people in a show and do a fun do-it-yourself type of show and that's kind of what this turned out to be i mean i was here uh, a year ago and i visited huck for some reason i don't even know why now <laughs> went to see their space and they're like how about doing a show here and then from that point on it's just like wrangling like it like usual you know finding money find figuring it out like i went to the clothing company i work with ruka and said hey we want to do this show will you guys pay for all our flights you know you just wing it and ask no, them <laughs> no. they might say fuck off and they might say yeah let's do it and they said okay we'll do that so we got i got basically everyone flown out here for this show what was with the title memory phone Memory Phone was, uh, me and both me and Deanna shoot our hometown basically, Huntington Beach. There's a pier there as our daily, like, whole couple thing. We just like, let's get out of the house and take a walk on the pier, but it's also our photo, like, our photo walk. So we'll go and shoot photos. And like I said, Huntington Beach is sort of like Venice, but not as crazy. I mean, you know, there's like homeless population, there's like people going out and doing street busking. So there's a scene there. Some days are better than others, but you know, so we'll just walk and shoot. And that show called Memory Phone was about that. So it's kind of like about a way to like seeing the art in everyday life. Well, like, you know, using the word for like, like sea foam, and then memory as photography is like a, is a funny name for a show. I just I love to come up with fun names for shows. So memory oh. foam was just about. I thought memory foam was there's
0: this thing called memory foam where you. No, like, that's, I mean yeah, it's a play, yeah, on, yeah, words. It's yeah, a play yeah, on words. It's a play on words. It's
2: like okay. it's like using memory foam in a different okay. way. Like yeah, Memor- like memories and sea foam. <laughs> okay, shit.
0: Sure. And you only started to appreciate what was around you by traveling and taking a step back, right? realized its value and its interest by going abroad and stepping for away sure. from it.
2: For sure, yeah. I mean, still every time I come back from Europe, when you get out of the airport and get onto the freeway, it's a culture shock. Done it a million times, but it's still like you're here for a couple of weeks, everything's a little smaller, a little older, and then you get there and it's just like... Pfft fucking 20 lane mega highway, you know, like, which would be a landing strip for an yeah. airport here, you know, it's like, but that, and it goes all the way down forever. So it kind of takes you a second to like realize like, oh shit, I'm back here. Uh. But yeah, only the last like 70 years has my painting really like started coming out of like specifically the suburbs. I'm interested in making paintings that are about the weirdness of specifically where I live, you know, the, we live in these housing tracks that have walls around them. And so all the streets are just like walls. It's like you go down these streets and it's just walls. Wall, 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 house, 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 behind the walls. Everything's kind of hidden in these little housing tracks. So it's kind of like just a weird place. Part of the drive was like, at some point I'm gonna leave here. I'm gonna to go to LA or New York and like, you know, and like grow up and get out of my little my little hometown. But then I think a mixture of doing the skate company, which is uh, shipped out of San Diego. So I didn't want to and go And got too- you
0: around the world.
2: And I don't want to go too far. in and, and the fact that I got to travel, like, so I get to leave all the time, and I get to do other things. But then I get to like relax in this, like, it is like a, a quiet suburb, you know. It's like there's nothing going on, and that means you can work. I'm yeah. I'm not in a city where there's like constantly something going on, and like a show or a, something yeah. to go to, you know. So it's kind of nice in that way. You can like become a hermit and get your work done. It's funny.
0: I grew up in London. I never wanted to leave this place because I travel a lot. and <laughs> I'm kind of like, yeah, place is rocking. Well, yeah, you you were already you were <laughs> yeah. already in a cool yeah. spot. That's yeah. what I mean.
2: If I like if I was happening. To be born in LA, I, I probably wouldn't have left either.
0: Although having said that, when I was growing up, it was a very different place, and all this kind of multiculturalism didn't, you know, didn't exist. There's a lot of racism, all kinds of shit. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask. And you that about kind of that. that stuff
2: kind of made me stronger, to be honest. I wanted to ask you about that. That was something, a question I had for you. I just knew I was going to do this podcast, and we were just at the Tate Britain. There's a photography show there uh, on currently about. Um, the 60s black culture in London of the 60s there's a guy Sid Shelton and I thought maybe you had I known think I know the name yeah because he shot like the skinheads, yeah. like... uh well, I just did a documentary about skinheads. He had, he had some cool photos I actually shot. like. One Which I've got to tell
0: you now on this podcast, because a lot of Americans don't know this, it was actually the first multicultural movement in this country. It started as an amalgamation of black and white kids together through music and fashion. Right,
2: yeah, here in London, yeah. yeah. And then
0: over the years, it got hijacked by the whole right-wing National Front thing. It started off as a multicultural movement. Yeah, I mean, I was was stoked no, it's when a i see mess. old
2: photos from like the punk shows and stuff that it was a mixture, you know? Because like my punk shows that I went to when I was young were like super white, you know? <laughs>
0: super Although, gay. you know, I, I mean, I see the evolution of hip-hop when it started as black American punk rock, when it started. I mean, hip-hop has now become hip-pop. But underground movements become a part of the overground. Even the de- development of reggae was a punk rock thing. And these guys couldn't do all the fancy shit, so they made an asset out of just skanking on the guitar. You know, yeah. Punk rock. This is when I was a kid when all this shit was happening. I used to have a big fucking afro. Yeah, that's what
2: or, I mean. Yeah. And I was like, so I knew I was doing this podcast, yeah. and I was like, man, Don was like living in this period. That's pretty cool. Like, I mean, I tell people, stuff. you know,
0: when I was growing up, the graffiti on, on the walls of my streets were big letters KBW, six feet high. Keep Britain white. Oh, that's wow. why I used to walk past every day. Yeah, were there like, you
2: know, Nazi you, uh, skinheads here? Yeah,
0: oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it very quickly got hijacked by the right-wing motherfuckers basically through football and they were actively targeted by the right-wing politicians to become like um, a ready-made army. You know, and they played up the lack of housing and the people are stealing our jobs and these fucking immigrants. Same shit that's doing now. Yeah, same tricks same that they're using stuff. now. I mean, they say that <laughs> Margaret Thatcher stopped the football riot. It wasn't Margaret Thatcher. It was Ease. And the hooligans started taking ecstasy and that was it. Chilled the whole thing right out. Yeah. I remember going to raves and I'd be dancing with these guys and like, hold on a minute. If I saw you in the daytime,
2: I might be crossing the street, <laughs> and they'd be like, and be hugging you up, right, done. <laughs> Big sweaty guy. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Downtown Huntington Beach, the little, you know, one street you walk down there uh, to the pier, as late as like late '80s, I guess. Um, I wasn't part of this group, but some of my guys I know, some friends, they literally walked around with necklaces with mouthpieces because they got in fights with skinheads so much. There was so many skinheads hanging out in, in Huntington Beach, like racist guys. That they, they, some of my friends, they had these, they just wore mouthpieces because they're like, we're gonna go down there they're going to say something to us and we're going to fight the skinhead guys and they put their mouthpieces in and start fighting it was that like so many fights all the time and now it's just like there's fights, but it's like drunk people at bars and everyone's an MMA fighter now, so they want to, like, try their skills, <laughs> like you know. So, but yeah, not as much, like, cultural stuff. But, I mean, there's a photo in the show of uh, some punks kissing that I shot. And, you know, you can see he's got the freaking white power tat. He's got the German thing that has a circle with no swastika in it. Like, I'm sure when he gets a little older, he'll put the swastika in there or something. But And I saw that kid at the Trump rally. He was a fucking racist, you know. He's still a racist, white power kid. <laughs>
0: odd question just popped in my mind. Where are the girls at in the skateboard scene? Are Not there as... many
2: on skateboards? No, there, there are, and it's increasing a lot. I mean, we were the first company to sponsor a girl and turn her pro, so we had the first girl pro street skater. I mean, there was a girl, Cara Beth Burnside, who was a pro before Alyssa Steamer, but Alyssa Steamer, the girl who was on my team, was, like, the first street pro. And when was that? 95, 96? On the
0: water, there's lots of female surfers, right? And I just wonder why, yeah. when they got to land... They kind of
2: disappeared. In a traditional sense, skateboarding is really brutal. It is a total boys club and there's like the cultural barrier with just the boys being boys and assholes and stuff and sexist and whatnot. Then there's the physical part of it where it's just like you're literally throwing yourself down sets of stairs. And I think because of these cultural things. I I think I'm
0: getting now. Girls just ain't that stupid. (laughs)
2: There's that. There's that. No, but there's a culture. But there's a cultural thing where girls are now approaching like, I can do this, you fucking assholes, you know. Like, but before there was like uh, that barrier of like, I don't know, like you know, it was like a novelty kind of thing yeah. and now and now i think those those things are eroding and and it's a lot i see a lot of girls at skate parks and there's a lot of girls i mean the girl just we just had a girl on the th- cover of thrasher lizzie Armando, and she's doing really good and there's like some I mean, real groundbreaking parts coming out video parts is it an olympic sport are they trying to get to be i olympic think this sport? year it's going to be olympic sport This will be first i'm on the, i'm on the side that it's not really that interested in that mm. you know like i'm on the skateboarding as a lifestyle and and it's antithetical to the olympics you know when i think of the olympics and scoring you it's like you look at ice skating and it's like you have to do a triple axel and this and this and this to even be judged yeah. properly. There's nothing like that in skateboarding. It's so... Fluid. It's so fluid. Yeah. Yeah. It's so subjective. Well, again, it's that like, trying to define you know, things. this guy can skate things. It kind one of way. kills it. it it, to me it kind of does it'll be interesting to watch and i think skateboarding has kind of like grown so much that there's branches now coming out and that's just one branch that i'm not as interested in but it's a valid branch you know it's it's fine it's like there's a a contest skater sort of like you know a little more jockey sort of mentality to skateboarding and it's the commercial side and it's like and then there's the other side that's like still existing over here and you don't maybe you don't see it as much a lot of people from my generation are kind of like they whine about it, like, oh, skateboarding used to be cool, man. And it's like, you know what? It never changed.
0: All these underground movements eventually become part of the overground, and then there's always the hardcore people that remember what it was that keep it real. Right. You know what I mean? and that's the dynamic of any subculture. And I think... The reason that new subcultures keep coming up is young people are trying to reclaim this language, becoming part of the corporate world, I guess, you know.
2: It's an ongoing struggle, man. Yeah, and, like, there's a whole thing about selling out, you know, like, what is selling out now? Like... The today's generation, that's the goal. Selling it's out exactly, is the goal. That's their aspiration. That's what they exactly want. <laughs> right. That's what they want is to sell out. And, like, you know, you and maybe I come from, I mean, even me, I'm much later than you, but, like, yeah, you know, again, with Fugazi as, a, as an example, it's like. But
0: having, they were extreme. I mean, they were really yeah. extreme. But having a moral yeah, thing, yeah. you know, yeah. like,
2: we're vegan, so it's like.
0: I've, I mean, the fact that they had a moral compass was a good big deal to me. You know what I mean? That yeah.
2: they cared. And, I, and that's the thing. It's like, so your reputation is all you have, really. Like, that's how I see it. It's like, it's, it's really all you have is like who you are. Like, it's what you are. So, I mean, I you know, look at my name as a brand, you know, and I'm always trying to protect that. No, yeah, that's and, how it is, you know? So, like, my shoe company that I wrote for was like, always let me make non leather shoes to their credit, you know? And it's like, that's awesome. I can do this. I could, like, hold up my end of like my moral beliefs or whatever and, and make a non leather shoe and, you know, just stuff like that. So, it was kind of cool. I think I always will identify as a skater, you know, but there's so many hats. Let's say you get on a plane and someone next to you goes, what do you do? I just, like, make a choice. Because I could say a businessman, I could say an artist, I could say a skateboarder, I could say a company, you know, whatever. Like, you just kind of decide what you what you want to talk about to somebody that day because there's a lot of things going on. I think that's how everyone is now. I think everyone's branched into a thing. Like, you know, look, yeah, at all this diversity stuff. look at all this the stuff key, you've yeah, done yeah, and what yeah. you're doing now. You're doing podcasts, you're doing DJing, you're doing films. It's like, it's not just one thing.
0: Yeah, and it's all <laughs> forms of expression, really. I mean, I guess that's the dividing line between whether it becomes you know, something I enjoy or a job. I mean, I'm one of these guys that gives thanks that I can make a living just doing stuff I enjoy because the truth of the matter is, most these these. Pla- People on the planet, they do shit they hate for fuck all money, you know. And that's the reality. That's, mean, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't mind being but rich. That's right, that
2: right there is the nugget, though. That's, that's the core uh sentiment i think for me as well it's the only like, way to express it's like the feeling like uh never forgetting it yeah. like i feel like you hold on to it so preciously because you're like i don't want to be that guy digging a ditch yeah. you know it's like so important to like do a good job like Listen. i want to do the, i want to make this show good and have people be stoked and i want to be nice to all the kids who come up to me and like you know want my autograph i'm like i want this to keep going i want this ball to keep going because i don't want to have to do stuff i don't want to mm-hmm. do from to pay the bills kind of i mean thing. i watch the news
0: every single day man just to keep me grounded so I don't disappear up my ass worrying about what I call first world problems, you know? I mean, literally, every day of my life I watch the news somehow.
2: I I, I like to stay connected too in that way, for sure. Like I said, I was self-taught, so... Like, right now, I'm in the middle of, like, doing all these photo things. I'm going to do a photo show in New York in June. That's a big show for me at at a gallery there. And uh, So I've been kind of, like, printing photos and doing that and stopped painting for the last couple months. Each time I go back to it, I feel like I've learned something somehow, and it's through osmosis because I'm like, what, how did I, like, because I'll look at the painting and go, this is better than the last, like, I look back three years and I'm like, this painting's way better. How did that happen? Like, I haven't been painting. I don't know how it works, honestly. I mean, I think it's just looking at stuff and learning, like looking at other, like, you know, you go to the National Portrait Gallery or the National Gallery and look at these, like, old paintings and, and you just pick up a little thing. Like, look at this, you get up close and you're like, oh... He must have used like a really tiny brush to do this. I can do that, and then, you know, and the next thing you know, you <laughs> like do that. Next thing you know, you've <laughs> learned it. That.
0: But that's the way. That's the way to go, man. That's yeah. it. Next I thing you know, you've that. learned it.
2: Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I just think about the mohawk itself as like an example. Like the mohawk is benign now. You know, I say the mohawk <laughs> is benign. It was benign back in the day, dude. I never <laughs> knew anybody that had a mohawk or a safety <laughs> pin in their face. That was something that was created by the tabloid press. Yeah. See, this is what's interesting. This is what's interesting, because you grew up in it here, like in the fucking epicenter of it. I'm growing up in a bastardized version of in California, because there was kids with like safety pins and mohawks. I've got to tell you something about the new
0: California scene, because it's an interesting theory. I did a film called Punk Attitude, and in that film I learned that the reason that the East Coast scene and the West Coast scenes develop so very differently, because the East Coast, they got the clash first. as their example of punk rock. West Coast, they got the damned.
2: Okay, and within the More punk flamboyant, scene, yeah. it, was,
0: it was theatrical, flamboyant, wasn't so politicised, and that's why the LA scene is supposed to have developed. And a lot of the guys like Dead Kennedys and the Germs, and all. The, I mean, I've talked to these people, and they'll testify that yeah, the dam kind of gave them their idea of what punk was about, and that's why it's a very different scene. Actually, going back to that, politics in the skateboard culture. Does
2: it exist? Yeah, I mean, during this last election, a lot of pros did... Well, a lot of people got
0: politicised after that
2: arsehole got elected, you know what I mean? It's a shame that it's
0: it's taken a decade like that for people to get
2: off their asses. Yeah, I was hoping that this would uh, create sort of like... I mean, look what what Reagan did to the punk scene in California. I mean, like, every single song was about Reagan. I'm like, where's our dead Kennedys right now? We need that fucking Same in England. Where's our
0: Johnny Johnny Rotten's or Joe Strummers and all that stuff? I shot John Lydon before. How was that?
2: Was it? Was he okay? Was he on good behavior? I was very intimidated. I heard all these stories that yeah. he's really mean to people and stuff. He might have been a little drunk already. Uh, so we go to his house in Venice. Yeah. Uh, there's a football game he wants to watch, and I could tell this was a huge inconvenience. And I, you know, I wanted to be authentic. Yeah. You know, so in my head, I'm like, if you just want to sit here and watch the football game, go ahead keep drinking, I'm just going to shoot photos, if that's cool, we can just hang out, I just want to hang out with John Lydon and like, shoot photos of you sitting on your couch, and he's just like, really? I'm like, I'm not, I'm fucking serious, like, because he thought he had to get in some costumes, go out and find some, find some walls and stuff, you know, which is what most photographers would say, like, we need to get, you know, and I was just like, literally just sit here and watch the game, and I'm just going to shoot photos, and and so he's just like, fuck yeah, <laughs> let's do this. I, know, uh, I got some cool photos of him that I really liked. I mean, we did walk around his house and I got some photos. And, you know, like, I didn't want him to make his, like, trademark face, but he kept doing it. <laughs> um, but I got some photos, like, without that. And I uh, sent him to the magazine and they, I think it so, was so different from what they wanted, they didn't even use them. Nice oh, he's, a trip. He, yeah, you know, he's trip, got man. his whole, like, soundboard right there in the house. And he's, but he was just, like, watching an Arsenal game and drinking a beer. And it was, you know, I just... I'd
0: always owe that brother because he was the first man to take me to Jamaica. Okay. You know, and that was a trip, believe me. Because he went after the Pistols broke up with uh, Richard Branson to start this reggae label up. So they land on Jamaica, and it's like these jungle drums are beaten, you know, rich white man on the island, come (laughs) and get some money. Because for the next two weeks, we sat there, and this is when I'm like 18 or 19, so all these. Legendary names that I'd previously seen on record labels. They're all now sitting around me trying to get a deal with Richard Branson. And everybody except sort of Bob Marley, Peter Tosh and Burning Spear. I met every one of them in two weeks. Think about that. Ma- 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 imagine sitting in some place and all your heroes are all around you. And the funniest thing was they're all trying to blag drinks off you because they're all fucking broke. Because I'm thinking, OK, their name's on a record. They must be doing all right. Not at all. Yeah. Major lesson. The distance between the myth and the
2: reality, you know. And this is where it comes full circle because it's like I never listened to too much reggae or anything mm. my whole life, but then reading interviews with Ian Mackay in the early days, he was claiming at how the Fugazi songs are so influenced by dub music, mm. and it kind of like brought it full circle. And I was thinking of you, and I thought that I'm like, oh, well, here's another connection. Like, you know, one of my favorite bands is basically fully influenced from the dub punk stuff that you probably created or helped create. You know? Well, I passed some records on to some of the cool guys yeah. like
0: John Lydon and Joe Strummer. But
2: that yeah, the English you were interest, instrumental in that whole thing, and that hear it. I guess so I, was I was a, a, I, I a culture had, had he not done that, I might not have had Fugazi to be like you know, so in a lot of ways, everyone. Uh, it's uh, interesting how the culture has kind of people brought like people to together.
0: But I'm, I'm, a, I'm a direct product of that whole punk the DIY thing because if I hadn't met those guys, I probably wouldn't be sat before you today. And it was through the whole punk uh, DIY thing that I picked up a Super 8 camera and literally reinvented myself mm. as a filmmaker. You know, because I really couldn't... I'd seen a film years before, but how did they come? And I thought, I'd like to express myself visually. Couldn't see a way forward. And then Punk comes along eight years later with the whole DIY thing. Picked up the camera, like you, you. never went to film school, never read the instruction book. Just kind
2: of self-taught. Yeah, you just And make up as I went along. You just do it. That's the main thing I tell kids now. Because kids will come to me and ask, what's the path? How do you get to that point? You know, like as if there's like a Mm. ladder or a path, a map, I could just go, here's how to do it. I just say, start participating. Whatever scene you're in, start being a participant in it. Show up at the shows. Make zines on your own at Kinko's. It's cheap. Just do the stuff that you see your friends doing, and it happens naturally it takes time. Like, you James know, Brown but, put it quite succinctly. Get up and get involved. <laughs> That's, I mean, really, it just boils down to that. Like, I just, they think that there's some thing, like, I have to do this or this or this. It's like, no, you just... They want an
1: easy... Yeah, they want they an want easy path. Blueprint. Okay, what do I need to check But out? there's not
2: a blueprint. It's just Network. doing it. It's just doing it, and it evolves. Like, yeah. And, it, you know, it's hard for a kid to realize this, because I'll say fast-forward 10 years. I'll be like, do it, and fast-forward 10 years, and guaranteed something will happen for you. If you've been doing what you're doing for 10 years, you've got it. It's hard to fathom, like, 10 years of doing something, you know, but it really goes in a heartbeat, you know, and that's the test, I guess, is, like, if you're sticking to it in 10 years, then you've probably got something. Otherwise, you've probably Man, fallen I, I out. Kid, I get young people asking me for advice these
0: days, and I, like, shudder, because I, I say to be fucking great or have a B plan. <laughs> that's the, and the other one I say to them is, um, draw fast, shoot straight, and don't hit the bystanders. I got that from an old Western back in the 60s. <laughs>
2: That's funny. There's a there's an old skate saying: skate, uh, think fast, skate faster, and don't look back. Similar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't look back. I like that one. Though.
1: Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for season two of Joining the Dots, which is in production as we speak. In the meantime. You can find Huck Magazine at all good news agents. And you can go to HuckMag.com to subscribe. That's H U C K Mag.com for daily original journalism, cutting edge reportage photography, and all the killer content. HuckMag.com.